You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Philippians chapter 2, please find a Bible and open it to Philippians chapter 2. Continuing in our series called Citizens of Heaven, that title has never made more sense to me maybe than right now. Let me ask you a question. Um, What gives you joy? Just take a moment, answer that honestly. What, like based on the last seven days, what gives you joy based on the last month? What gives you joy? Like what, or what, what do you think gives you joy? I have to define joy biblically, of course. It's, it's more than happiness. You know, one of the major themes of Philippians is that joy. 16 direct references, either a noun or a verb, uh, explicitly stating joy in relation to Paul and the church in Philippi. By the way, um, Christ is mentioned 50, 50, 5, 0, 50 times in this small letter to the church in Philippi. So you don't need to be a theologian to figure out where Paul gets his joy from. It's Jesus. And you shouldn't need to be a theologian to find out where you get your joy from too. It's Jesus. Always has and always will be. You know, it's interesting, um, you, you contrast that truth with our world. Our world is so sad, so miserable. Uh, suicide rates as high as ever. Uh, depression. Misery. All rampant. The world, it, it, it tries to put a facade, put a front up, just always trying to drug up the next situation or just put a nice kind of cover on the reality of what humanity is pursuing and where we're going. But if you look behind the curtain, it's, it's really bad. Life after life, nation after nation, home after home, government after government, it's not good because it's not God. Paul understands this perfectly. And what he does for us again tonight is he, he shows us the path to joy. If I probably asked a survey right now what you think the answer to joy is for your life, I, I doubt many of us would probably come up with what Paul says right here in the Word. We might, it might be on our list, but it's probably further, further down the list than the things we think right away. It's interesting that the phrase I kind of pulled out from this text for our sermon title is Paul just says, complete my joy. He says to the church, he says, church in Philippi, complete my joy. Complete my joy. And so his joy is found in whatever follows from this text. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing. Do nothing from conceit. Nothing. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, tell me, Christ Jesus. Verse 1 sets up everything else that is to come. Let's start with the very first word in verse 1. It's the word in my translation, so. Maybe in yours it's since or therefore. See what Paul's doing right here? He's tying together the verses that come before and after verse 1. He's, he's building a bridge right here with that little word so or therefore. Remember, chapter divisions in God's word are not inspired. This is one continuous flow when it was originally written, inspired by the Spirit of God. The verses preceding our verse today, verses 27 to 30, this is opponents coming against the gospel, suffering for the gospel. So what Paul says then, whatever comes next is how we combat the damaging forces that are coming against us. So that's an important heads up. If you just kind of jumped into verse 1 of chapter 2, you may not have the context, but now we do. He's like, hey, if you want to combat the, deforce, uh, the, the destructive forces coming against the church, coming against you, then listen up, because here's what, here's what needs to happen. So, he says, now look at verse 1, so therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, he says. Now, verse 1 in the English, it's hard to pick up just how intensely and earnestly Paul is speaking to the Philippians. Okay, so, in the original, in earnestness, um, tremendous passion, uh, very, very strong emotion for the church in Philippi. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul refers to the church, the believers of Philippi, as his joy and crown, and then calls them his beloved. I mean, that's, that's pretty strong language. My joy and crown. So they are his joy. His crown, the things that God is producing in them, he's seeing as something he wants to hold up. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, and allow my prayer to be made with joy as he prays and longs for the church here. He's just so much joy within Paul for this church. So he's writing this with tremendous sincerity and sympathy. He loves this church. How much do you love the church of Jesus Christ? How much would you do for the church of Jesus Christ? How much affection do we have for one another? How much display of sympathy and earnestness do we have for the, the bride of Jesus Christ? That Jesus married. That Jesus died for. That Jesus is coming again to gather to his own. Paul gets this. And so what he does here is he provides four clauses of the Philippians' reality, the believers in the church in Philippi, four clauses of the reality 
in Christ in verse 1. And so notice here, let's just take these one at a time. He says this, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, what does that mean? It can be translated, if there's any consolation in Christ, um, comfort in Christ. So think about that. If there's any encouragement in, notice, in Christ, Christ who sustains us, Christ who supplies us with grace, Christ who loves us, Christ who carries us, literally, ready? This is really union with Christ. Before the foundation of the world, Christ, to all of eternity, Christ, and everything in between is our existence in Christ. Is there any, do you have any encouragement in Jesus Christ? Are you alive in Jesus Christ? You can never die in Jesus Christ. You are the sheep that belongs to the shepherd being Jesus Christ. You cannot lose with Jesus Christ. You will win with Jesus Christ. He has a house prepared for you in Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and restored in Jesus Christ and reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. And the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom because of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more he can do if you have any encouragement in Christ. And then he says this. You want to clap? We can clap. That's fine. Amen. I love a clapping church. And he noticed, secondly, any comfort from love. What love? Uh, multifaceted love. Christ's love for the church. Paul's love for the church. The believer's love for one another. Any comfort. Remember, um, the English word comfort, come, prefix with. A fort, forte, strength. Comfort, come with strength. So Christ does. He, he comes alongside uh, to encourage to give courage, to comfort, to give strength. Do you have any encouragement in Christ? Do you have any comfort from the love of Christ? And if we have any love for one another truly, that all comes from Christ anyways. All that we have that's real comes from him. Love we feel for his church comes from Christ. So any comfort from love, notice this, any participation, thirdly, in the spirit. I love this so much. See that word participation there in the Greek? It's koinonia. Many of you know koinonia. Fellowship. We, we, we refer that to one another, but notice what's happening here. Our koinonia in the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, sharing communion together in the Spirit of God. Where would we be without the Spirit of God? What, what would this service be today? Apart from the Spirit of God, it would just be one long string of empty religious ritualism filled with legalism and no power of any kind. Without the Spirit of God, there's nothing that occurs of any eternal merit or any eternal significance. So Paul says, do you have any encouragement in Christ? Do you have any comfort from the love of Christ? Do you have any participation in the Spirit? Again, think about it. The context of this passage right here is going to be division and disunity in the church or the call for unity in the church and what quenches the Spirit of God more than division in the church. What quenches the Spirit of God more than a husband and wife always fighting with one another in sin kills the Spirit of God in the home. What quenches the Spirit of God more in the leadership of a church of people fighting with one another and arguing and bickering and having bitterness 
He says, any participation in the Spirit? There's nothing like Him. There's nothing, nothing like the Holy Spirit of God. And he says this, any affection and sympathy? Any affection and sympathy? Affection, literally, the inward parts of the body. Um, detailing here a strong, strong emotion, but a tenderness, a tenderness of, 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 of real, a deep down, heartfelt emotion from Christ. That's supposed to translate to one another. Sympathy. Sympathy speaks of compassion. Paul says, you have any affection, the, the strong emotion, Christ's love for you and you for others, and then compassion, uh, concern for someone else's misfortune. The affection and sympathy of Jesus toward us, and then our, our call towards each other with affection and sympathy. See, you see these four clauses here. They're pretty amazing. He's like, so therefore, therefore, hey church, do you, do you have any of these? Have you, if, notice, so if there's any encouragement, comfort, participation, affection. Notice here, these are all a series of indicatives. They're all stating what God has done for the true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you look at verse 1 again, the beginning, so is the first word, and the second word is if. Right? So there's the condition again. You got to know this in God's word. So if, if this is true, if you have encouragement in Christ through your salvation, if you have strength in love, if you have participation in the sharing of the Holy Spirit of God, if you have the affection of Christ himself and the sympathy of Christ and compassion from him for one another, if this is true in your life. That's verse 1. If this is true, ready? That's the indicative. What God has done for us, all him. Now come the imperatives again. If this is true with you, now. Now come the commands, the imperatives, all based on the reality of the indicatives, again, of the grace and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Paul's opening of verse 2 now. He says, if this is all true in your life, well then complete my joy. Complete my joy. What follows here is where Paul finds his joy. And listen, what follows is where we find our joy as well. Three essential words we will see that Paul's saying will give him so much joy that are essential to see in our lives if we're truly saved in the Lord Jesus Christ from the reality of the gospel. The three words, three words are unity, Humility, and we'll go through these one at a time, and generosity. Humility, unity, and generosity. So, loved ones, listen. If verse one is true in my life, if verse, verse one is real in my life, if I'm alive in Jesus Christ, then here's what I must pursue. Number one, I must pursue unity. Verse two. Complete my joy, Paul says, Note by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. One word to describe all of that is unity. Powerful unity. Deep unity. Notice this. Same mind, same love, full accord, and one mind. That's all in the same verse. 
That's the all-star team of unity right there. What's happened here is the church of Philippi, they have pulled up to the buffet and Paul's serving. And Paul's like, here's what you get for dinner tonight. You get unity and unity and unity. And just to make sure, here's another load of unity. And the church in Philippi was like, all right, man, if you say so. And they got their plates all loaded up with this unity piled high. That's all of verse 2. Many commentators point out this. Verse 2 is not uniformity. It's unity. It's not we're all clones. We all have different personalities. But we're all, we're all moving together in our own uniqueness, but pursuing the same goal, the glory of Jesus Christ. Not uniformity, but unity. Think with unity, he says, one mind. Love with unity, same love. Join together in unity, full accord. And then he repeats again how important it is, one mind. The power of the Holy Spirit in the unity, again, that is found only in the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. Just think about it. Think about it. The unity, the power of unity of one mind in same love in the Holy Spirit of God. And again, with the unity of agreeing together and, and moving together in this direction. Think of how that kind of unity changes our lives. One week ago today, Free Indeed, our men's conference concluded. Amazing testimony came in this week. A man wrote in a detailed email. He says, I got a friend from a family member or I got a, a note from a friend or a family member um, about this men's conference that was down in Oakville. He was living in Barrie. Um, they had an extra ticket. He'd never heard of a men's conference like this. He'd never, I think, heard even of our church. He says, how much time do I have? They said, one hour. He just, in that moment, he says, I know I need to go. Knew nothing about it. He goes, I, I just know I need to go. He leaves work, jumps in the car, terrible weather, drives down the 400, gets here, I think, an hour late, stumbles into the end of Paltrow's message, and the first thought he was is like, I need to be here. God works in his heart that day, works in his heart during the conference. The Holy Spirit was basically shredding him. Amen. Through the sessions, through the workshop, he goes home that day, and I'll just kind of give you the Coles notes of this, but he would describe in his own words that in some form his marriage was terrible for 10 years. The way he was treating his wife, just his lack of love for her, blaming her for all the things that weren't happening. So she, he went home and he wanted to unpack all that had happened in his conference experience here and he went to sit down with his wife and his wife immediately begins to be defensive because usually how this conversation goes he pulls out the things he learned to make her change but this time he kind of began with that and she, he said you could see her get tense but in that moment all of a sudden he began to say all the ways that he has realized how he has failed her how he has hurt her how he is looking down he said he was so nervous in trying to say this and begins to express how sorry he is for what he's done to her and he looks up at that moment and his wife, and he would describe 10 years of abuse in terms of not loving her the way that he was supposed to. She look, he looks up and his wife is sitting there, trembling, lips quivering, crying. He begins to bawl and just bawl. And the forgiveness that is given in that moment, instantly, 
And his wife runs over and just hugs him and embraces him. And he said to me, he said in this, in the, in this note, he said, he says, Robbie, instantly in that moment, even before, and then she became the most beautiful woman on earth to me. Yeah, amen. He says, we have a new marriage. I'm a new man. We got new hope. What is that? It's the unity that only the Lord Jesus Christ can produce. I wonder how much hope his wife had before he went to this thing. Probably not much. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, do not give up on what the Holy Spirit can do. And the power of having one mind and the same love and together in the Spirit of God and minds renewed for what he can do. It's pretty awesome. What happens? Eyes set on heaven. See what's happening here? It's the eyes that are set in heaven. It's when we understand our citizenship is when Christ has forgiven us. Who are we then not to forgive? And then we can join together in that moment to fight the real enemy. What happens when we humble ourselves before the Lord? The unity found again in the Lord Jesus Christ as our root and foundation becomes the gospel. Question, what does pursuing unity look like for you right now? What relationship has the Holy Spirit brought to mind right now? What difficulty has the Holy Spirit brought to mind right now? What conflict? What sin? Again, what situation? What person? Paul says, are you saved in Christ? Do you have encouragement in Christ? Do you have comfort and love? Do you share and communion with the Holy Spirit? You have received the affection and sympathy of Jesus Christ? Well, then complete my joy and pursue unity. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. But it's not supposed to be us, ultimately, who gets it done. It's the Lord in us. Secondly, put on humility. Put on humility. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So notice right away here, the two greatest enemies of unity are selfish ambition and conceit. This is where God's word starts to get surgical on us. Selfish ambition, what is that? Self-fulfillment or self-advancement. It's almost impossible to have true unity with these in place. When the person is only seeking to serve their own purposes or their own advancement or their own ambition, particularly in the setting of a church or believers. Think of the person serving in the church in some position. And then someone else comes along who's maybe more gifted or better suited for that position. And the person operating in selfless ambition, in that moment, they turn bitter. And then they, if they don't check their sin in their spirit, they immediately begin to sow seeds of disunity. Why do they do that? Because their selfless ambition has been threatened. Their own advancement is endangered. And because it's about them... They then want to protect them and protect self. And they start to sow division to discredit and divide people against another person that they might think that they may be brought forward and preventing others from being forward so that they won't be able to take away what they think is theirs. 
It's a sick pattern of the sin in all of our hearts. Think of the person in conversation day after day that inevitably brings the conversation back to themselves. The person who pretends to listen, they're like, yeah, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. But they don't hear a word you say. All they're doing is planning their next move of how to direct the conversation back to their own self-interest. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Are you done? Are you done? Okay, now it's back to me. It's incredible. What is that? It's a form of selfish ambition. It's self-advancement in every situation trying to make sure that you're putting ourselves in the place again where we think this will draw us the most attention. In a ministry setting again, this is, this is killer. Just think of how selfish ambition has killed leader after leader after leader in the Bible and beyond. I just wrote down a few names. Korah, his rebellion. Samuel's sons, their horrific impurity. Saul. Even Solomon, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, both. Uzzah, Hezekiah, Nebuchadnezzar, James and John. Want to be the greatest, want to be the greatest. Let's call fire down from heaven, Jesus. Judas, Herod, struck down, eaten by flesh-eating worms. Selfish. Ambition. No wonder Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition, a killer of unity. Notice the further problem of selfish ambition. It leads to, verse 3, it leads to conceit. It leads to conceit. Fascinating to me here. Uh, the Greek for conceit combines two words. In the Greek, it's um, kinodoxia. Kino, empty, doxia, doxa, glory, empty glory. Conceit here is empty glory. Stop, think, think. The pursuit of my own conceit is an empty glory. We convince ourselves it's worth something. We deceive ourselves in the process. Stop, okay, this is, this is, this is wisdom moment right now, okay? Okay, the phone's ringing. It's a moment of wisdom right now. When we are filled with our own conceit, the reality is we are filling ourselves with an empty glory. It appears to be glorious. It appears to have value. It appears that we win. It appears that we're going to have success and, and have attention and fame. It appears that it's the way to go. But in the end, in the end, conceit is empty glory. It's a sham. It's fraudulent. It's fake Stop right now in your life when we try to put on this front and conceited, filled with self. We are consuming our lives with a glory that is empty. Do you think at the end of your days that Jesus Christ and standing in his glory will be impressed with your bank account, will be impressed with your position at work, We'll be impressed with your intellect. We'll be impressed with your physique. We'll be impressed with your wardrobe. Do you really, really think at the end of the day, standing before Jesus Christ, you can bring all your conceit to the table and be like, look, Jesus. And what will he say? Not much. Because Jesus is about the poor in spirit and about the meek. Jesus is about those who mourn over sin. Jesus fills and blesses those 
who know they are nothing apart from him. This is the person that is pursuing true glory because at that moment, it is the glory of Jesus Christ in reality and not their own. But notice, when you pursue, when I pursue selfless ambition, man, if we're not careful, conceit, conceit quickly follows. And that's why then, look at the rest of verse three. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I remember years and years ago learning in this text, studying it. I specifically remember because I was studying it for a, a wedding ceremony I was performing. I just loved to fight. In the first century, humility was despised by culture. There was no virtue in humility. Um, it was seen as the, like, the lowly. Like, why would you ever humble yourself in that way in terms of a biblical understanding of humility? Because it's just, it's just who would do that? It's so, it's so terrible. It's so, again, it's so lowly in the bad sense of that word. It was just frowned upon, looked down upon, despised. In fact, it is said by scholars that Jesus was the first person to hold up humility as the true virtue that it is. Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. Don't take the front seat, man. Take the back. Jesus comes along and says, you want to be great? Then be last. Don't be first. Be last. Jesus comes along and says, man, you want to really live? Lose your life. Everyone's just scratching their heads going, what is this guy? What is this all about? And Jesus is like, it's, it's all about life. True life. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And look at that. Notice what humility does. Okay, you can say, Am I pursuing humility? Am I putting on humility? Well, then ask yourself this question Am I counting others more significant than, ourself, than myself? And what does that mean, count others more? It's really, Am I placing greater worth on others than myself? Am I? Am I placing greater worth in others than myself? Notice how contrary this is to our sinful flesh. Because what? Our sinful flesh, as we've heard already, our sinful flesh wants our own significance. I'm significant. I'm significant. Draw attention to me. Pay attention to me. I'm significant. But notice, I want to make sure we go back to this, right? The imperative of putting on humility back to the indicative, are you alive in Jesus Christ? Have you any encouragement in Christ? Have you the comfort and love? Are you participation in the Holy Spirit of God? If these things are happening in your life, then, then you understand you're rooted in Jesus Christ and then you want to count others more significant than yourself because the ultimate example of this is Jesus. By the way, in the context of our passage, Lord willing, next week, verse 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself. Taking on me come a servant, and even to the point of death, death on a cross. I mean, this is our context. Talk about the ultimate example of counting others more significant than himself. That's humility. Let's break it down in our lives right now. Husbands. Husbands are like, great. <laughs> I know. But honestly. Are you counting your wife more significant than yourself? Because that's what humility does. Why would I do that? Because that's what those who are alive in Jesus Christ do. Because they've been given everything in Jesus Christ. Wives, are you counting your husband more significant than yourself? 
stop, stop tearing him down. It's not helping him or you. Stop cutting him with words. It's not helping him or you. Love him. Respect him. Count him more significant. You're like, I can never do that. You're right. But the spirit of God in you can. I'll show you small, small, little things. Friends, employees, work colleagues. Are you counting others more significant than yourself? Why would I ever do that, Robbie? Because you're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And particularly, listen, particularly in the context of believers. Particularly. That's what this context is right here. Putting on humility because we are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Jesus as our preeminent example. So, how can you count others more significant? Who? Who in your life do we need to count more significant? Where in our life can we count others as more significant? The indicative leading to the imperative. Pursuing unity. Putting on humility. And finally this. Practicing generosity. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. So just notice that, Eric. You notice Paul knows that we got it covered when it comes to our own interests. So he says, look not only to his own interests. Now, but also this. It's not wrong to care for yourself. It's not wrong to take care of yourself in certain ways, right? So that's right there. It's like it's 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 assumed. So look not only at your own interests because you're going to do that, and it's and in in one sense understandable, but this is but also to the interests of others. So don't just be about yourself alone. You can be about yourself in terms of take care, but then then look beyond to the interests of others. Why? Well, this is unity and humility in action. This is what it looks like. It's the generosity of my life then wanting to be a blessing to others. You know, what's key in this verse, in this whole passage really, is the word others. Filled with Jesus, Philippians 1, 2. Filled with Christ. But notice this, then the focus then on others. Again, generosity in action. What does it look like to have generosity? What does it look like to, to look to the interests of others? Well, the, the application really is endless, isn't it? But let's just look at, let's look at some examples here. There's some really, really minor ones and silly ones, and we'll get to some more substantial ones as well. But look not only to your own, own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here's the first one, holding the door. That's representative of everything in life. We come into church. I pray. I pray in this place. We're gathered together with believers, and of course, unbelievers as well. I just, I, I just pray. There's just a, there's just such a sense of just. Um, I want to serve. I want. I want to put myself last. I want other to go forward. It's just such a, a sense of grace. It's so simple, but then it leads to bigger things, doesn't it? Right. Um, another one. 
um, yielding, yielding in traffic. Nothing greater than watching people leave our parking lot and fight for the way to get out first. Not that I've ever seen that, to be honest. But I, I pray that doesn't happen. But that would just be a really, really bad example of everything we're trying to learn today. But then you take that, you take that. I mean, think of what road rage is. Road rage is a peculiar thing because we've all felt it one way or another. You're just like, what in the world? Why am I so upset? Like, what is such a big deal? Because really what it is is saying, how dare you do that to me? Do you know who I am? Do you know? Do you know what kind of car I'm driving? Do you know that I was here? Do you know I waited? You know how dare? Isn't it mean what grows through the sinful flesh and people literally take it to the, it's just incredible. What is that then? I am more important than you. So therefore, I deserve to be one car length in front of you. And I will lose it on you if you take my half a second that I'll get to somewhere before I would otherwise. It's really insane, isn't it? And it's the antithesis of everything we're learning in verse 4. Here's another one. Practical at home. This, this may or may not have happened in our house yesterday. Family's over here right now, and the guilty party might be in attendance today as well, all right? But they'll be left unnamed. But isn't it, is it, is it interesting? You, you, you have, you, I should have brought a picture, but you have, you have the milk, and you pour it out, and you're looking at it, and you're like, ah, there's at least a drop in there, back in the fridge, right? <laughs> and in that moment, you've just decided, you've just decided the other person coming next is not worth me grabbing a bag and replacing it and cut whatever it is and doing that. It's just, it's incredible how this, how this all works. Bless you moms, bless you moms. This happens to you probably way more than most. Next. Okay, a little more serious now, okay? Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Why? Well, again, it's, it's amazing the people that just incessantly want to hear themselves talk. There's nothing wrong with a personality that likes to communicate, but you have to be wise enough to know when you're just speaking simply because you want to hear yourself. That's pride. Dominating, grabbing all the attention. Of course, this is biblical. This is right out of James. Caring for others, um, asking questions, listening, showing genuine interest. That's a very practical, but I think important way of how we look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm constantly expecting people to give to us, but not really expecting to give in return. It's just, there's another one. Um, seek to understand before you judge. That is, that is really counting others. My mom taught me this um, all when I was a teenager and, and young adult. She said, Robbie, it's so much easier to love someone if you seek to understand them. The failure to understand them, you just quickly, you just, you just draw conclusions. You place a label on them. And in that moment, I'm counting myself more significant, and I'm not caring about them and loving them and really showing interest. I'm just interested in myself and not necessarily of what has brought them to this point. There's just so many applications we can give. I just sat down before the Lord this week and just said, Lord, are the ones you want to have this week. Here's some more. Let's go to the next slide. We have a next slide, right? There we go. Here's a good one. Okay. The context of ministry is very important here. Um, your passion isn't the only passion. So people come in here and, and they got something they're super fired up about. Great. But they're so fired up about their thing, they think nothing else matters. That's not Philippians 
It's great. I'm so glad you're fired up what you're fired up about. But you're not the only person in the church. And your thing is the only thing in the church. And you're not the only person in the history of the church with an idea. And just, it's just this understanding of saying, if you don't get in my lane, then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. How many people? I'm out of here. Why? Because they're not listening to me. Why? Because I'm not. And they just, and they just, and they go, it's true. I've, I've seen it. Trust me. Trust me. Literally stomping. Next one. Your ministry isn't the only ministry. Context of the church, this is what's happening here in the church of Philippi. Well, we want to start this in evangelism. And well, we want to do this in the Bible study. And we want to make sure we have ministry to our men. And we want to make sure how we have this thing over here happening there. Great, 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 great. But your ministry isn't the only ministry. It's the attitude of humility. It's, 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 it's working together for the greater purpose. It's amazing how this stuff, like a mindset here, just amazing how much it solves. Next one. Here's a, the attitude of being a servant, Christ-like, and being CEO. I'm completely in charge, domineering. Uh, I want to I make all the decisions. This could be in the context of a home, could be context of a small group, context of church leadership, context of right now in church, context in a conversation. No, unless I'm in charge, I'm not. Next one. That's big. Interest of others. Gratitude is so huge biblically, and we're going to see that in this letter versus entitlement. The entitled person's just like, no, man, I deserve this. Gratitude's like, I can't believe I'm alive. I, I, I told you this, man, I love waking up in the morning sometimes, just be like, breathing, heat is on, roof over our heads, there's, there's some fruit in the fridge, I got some clothes to be able to put on, wow, like, you know, family, wow, got church. It's just, it, you, you go through the process and you're just, you know, and it starts to fight against this and it's building into this, you know, the interest of others. Last one. I could have written down 500, right? Generosity versus stinginess. Well, this is it, isn't it? Look not only to your own interest but also to the interest of others. The interest of others. A theme, a mindset of generosity God, help us to be men and women who are generous, looking to the interests of others. I got to end where I started, okay? Or finish again here where we started. Remember, indicative leads to imperative. Are you encouraged? Are you alive in Jesus Christ? Are, are you strengthened by the love of Jesus Christ? Is the participation, the sharing, the communion of the Spirit of God among you, is the affection of Jesus Christ and his sympathy, do you have this? Is this who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay? If you are this in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this gives us hope then to be able to fulfill the idea of pursuing unity and pursuing generosity and pursuing humility. Okay? Let's just be honest right now. Okay? As you go through right now, unity, humility, generosity. Let's just let's be honest right now. How are we doing? Okay, unity. You're like, um... Uh, not great. Unity. Um, it's been a tough year. You could be like, unity, and you're thinking about the relationships that are all fractured, and the things you said, and you wish you didn't say, and, and the things that are going on in your home, or work, or here at church, whatever it is, and you're like, unity, you're like, I, I stink. All right, number two, humility. And you're just like, ah, oh, I don't stand a chance. Humility, man, please don't ask my wife, please, please. I just, that won't go well is what you're thinking in your head. 
Humility, I, I stink even more than that when it comes to unity. Well, let's go generosity. Ah, I have a few good moments, but man, if you just, if you really kind of looked into, if you saw the video of my life and my wallet in the last month or my time or my affections, and it's, ah, man, this is, this is discouraging, Robbie. I know. I know. I got my own heart to look at every day. But here's what's so encouraging. We're going to sing this in this next song, too. It's the line, holiness, ready? Because we're talking about Holiness. Humility, holiness is Christ in me. Take that theology right now. It's the gospel. It's the indicative leading to the imperative. Christ in us. He's the one who ultimately produces unity, humility, and generosity. You see? You see? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Jesus is the one who does it. Our desire for him to do it. Our pursuing of him to change, our praying to him, our worshiping of him, and the more we become like the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more we are pursuing unity and putting on humility and practicing generosity. He is the answer. He is the one who allows us to have any chance of seeing this within our lives. Just like the man from this past weekend His eyes get on Jesus Christ. He repents of his sin and he's broken and a new man. And the result of Christ having full access to his heart is a revelation and a revolution of humility and generosity and of unity within his marriage. It all happens like that because it's the spirit of God who does it. You see? So you could be like me and say, I stink. And I'd say, yep, amen. Jesus doesn't. Jesus is awesome, and he's the one who does it in us. So what do we do? The only thing that we should do, we say, Jesus, we need you. Amen, church? We need you. We need you. And we're going to sing a song where we say that individually, I need you, and then at the end, we're going to change it to corporately. Jesus, in the spirit of unity, we need you. Let's pray. Just right now where you are, if you agree with what God's word is saying to you today, you, just, you, you tell Jesus, as it applies to your life, Jesus, I need you. I need you for unity in my marriage. I need you for unity in my relationship with my kids. Or I need you in unity with people in this church. I need you with unity at my workplace. Jesus, I, I need you for humility. I, I'm just not. Maybe you're saying today, Lord, I just, I've been so proud. I've been so stubborn. I need you. He, he does it. Jesus, I need you for generosity to look to the interests of others. Why? Well, because holiness is Christ in me. It's not me, it's Christ in me. If you're here today and it's time for you to give your life to Jesus Christ, turn from your sin. Jesus died for all your sin. The gospel is the good news where he came to pay 
for your sin and mine that we might live forever. You can say and sing today, Jesus, I need you. And as you say that, you say, I believe in you. I repent of my sin. I want to live. I want to live in Jesus Christ. God, may you change lives now. Again, in Jesus' name.